I love the youth band. Yeah. We go from the youth band now, bring on the old man. I know some of you really love winter. You love the cold, you love the snow. You're wrong. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, I think you, you can tell that I, I, I enjoy teaching, and the Lord has really blessed me in that I get to... Uh, the spring and fall districts tend to have their pastors and spouse retreats, and I, I've, I've had the chance to go really around the country, flying all over the country, doing a lot of these retreats. And I tend to teach on leadership and, and uh, church growth principles and all that stuff. But I always end the retreats talking about some things you can do in your church that will make a difference. And one of the things that I teach is 1.1.1, that you can do this in your church, and the best time is right before Easter. This has been a fun week. I had a, a pastor on Tuesday from Michigan call me and say, listen, I've got the posters up. We're doing 1.1.1. I've got them curious. Walk me through a couple of things in the beginning stages. Uh, how cool Michigan's doing it. And the next day, Wednesday, I had a call from upstate New York. I was on their retreat. The guy called me and said, same thing. I got posters up. They're curious. They're itchy about it. Uh, tell me about, I want to walk you through some of the beginning things. So we're not the only ones. It's kind of fun. Other people are going to be doing 1.1.1. Uh, we'll tell you about it. Not, not today. You got to wait. But uh, there's always the solvers. You know, people that love to solve the puzzle, love the mystery. I've had a couple of people come to me and say, okay. This is what it is. And they told me, you are so wrong. <laughs> but right now, we are in the names of God. We're looking at uh, the meanings of the names of God. And, and I, I realize there's, there's always people here for the first time, so bear with me. I'm going to real quickly walk you through the introduction just to make sure we're on the same page. Something that, that I, I do teach when I'm with pastors, I say, listen, every Sunday is somebody's first. Every Sunday is somebody's first. And so I don't want to jump in and say, you know, you, we've already done this, and make anybody that's new here going, well, I, I guess I'm late. So let me real quick walk you through what the names of God are about. And you remember agonizing about naming your, ch your children? You, the names are thrown on, names are thrown off. Why? Because you want a name that they can be proud of. The name is the most important part of self-revelation. When you meet somebody for the first time, remember, first thing you say is your name. If you have my name, you have my ability to get my attention. You go to a conference, the great big sticker, hello, my name is... And all of us go by several names. And here's the important part. You say, no, your name's Gene. Well, my kids call me Dad. Parents call me Son. Grandkids call me Papa. My wife calls me Honey. People in my church call me Pastor. The only way you could call me by that particular name is have that relationship. Names are designed around a particular relationship. Only two people in the world could show me, should call me Dad, Julie and John. Only my parents should call me son. So there are a lot of names out here, but they're all predicated and totally determined by a relationship. You must have a relationship to use the name. That's the driving force of the series because it answers the question, why does God need all these names? I mean, isn't God good enough? Why has he got all these names? Because it drives us toward a particular relationship that we might have, that we might use that name. It's important to us, more important in biblical times. I mean, Jacob's change to Israel. It is so important that it's part of the Big Ten, Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord in vain. This is not merely using his name in profanity. It's more than that. It's using a name of God that you're not prepared or qualified to use. The only people that can call me dad are Julie and John, my two kids. Only people that should use Jehovah Jireh are those that qualify for Jehovah Jireh. And then remember, once we qualify to use these names, and it's important to understand the name, understand how we qualify, because when we do, they're praise weapons. I mean, praise weapons. 
there's so many verses, but the two we've been kind of been using that are so obvious is Psalm 48.10. According to thy name, O God, so as the praise of the ends of the earth, thy right hand is full of righteousness. It could say according to God all, all praise is worthy. Here it says according to thy name. How specific. Same thing in Psalm 8.1. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Set the glory above heavens. It, we could have said, O Lord, O God, how excellent are you. But here, how specific, how excellent is your name. Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallow, hallowed be thy name. So it's a praise weapon, even used in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus prayed the prayer of, of, the, of the holy name. It's also a fort to run to. When the world collapses, you go to a doctor and get a report you didn't think was coming. When a relationship collapses, when you go through a dark season, it becomes a place of strength to pray the name. Proverbs 18.10, kind of the theme verse of the whole series. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. It's the name that's a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they are safe. A couple more things in the introduction to make sure the same page. These names of God, we didn't make up. There's not a guy on earth that went, you know, I believe I'm going to call you El Shaddai. He gave us the names so that we might use them. He wants us to know them. And I kind of make the joke when my grandchildren crawl on my lap and say, I love you, Papa. My wallet falls out of my back pocket. What do you want? Because I melt over that stuff. Every mom here can tell me the first time your baby said Mama for the first time. And dads can tell you the first time that baby said Daddy for the first time. These are, these are names that God says, I respond to that name. That's why I gave you the name. I'm drawn to the name. The way a mom is to hear the word mama, the way a dad is to hear the word dad, the way a, a grandpa is to hear papa, whatever you're called. He says, I'm giving you these names as worship weapons and forts to run to. So let's get going. Today is El Shaddai. We need to understand what this name means and how we get to use it. A, a good way, I think, to kind of kick off the discussion is a hard question. What would it take to make it happy? Come on, that's not so easy. Really happy. What would it take to relieve the anxiety that you feel? What would it take that you have a state of real contentment? Is that, is that even possible? I think for a lot of us, maybe the first answer is in kind of financial terms. I, I think I could be content if I had enough money to pay my bills and had enough leftover discretionary funds that I, I could use to enjoy my life. And, and I knew that my retirement was, was in position that I, I, I could retire not wealthy, but, but well enough. And I think if, if my financial house was really all in order, I, I, I could be content. The, the, the trouble is, I think, about the time we reach the goal of what we think would take, we want a little more. And if we somehow get a little bit more in the financial realm, there's always, if I just had a little bit more, that they keep moving the goal. It just seems to grow. Or, or maybe if I had a life direction where, where my life really counted, uh, like a moral compass. Unfortunately, people tend to create their own north. They create their own compass. I mean, the dominant term of today is no, nothing, everything's relative. If it works for me, then it works. You can't criticize me. You can't challenge it. If it works for me, it works. The trouble is, it tends to work for a while. And at El Shaddai, comes along and says, I am almighty God who is all sufficient. I am the one who helps you navigate your life. So 
What does it take to be content? Maybe it's relationships. I've got relationships out there that are crumbling if those were right. Maybe health. I, I'm in ill health, and you, you've got your health, you've got everything. Maybe for me, it's health. Maybe it's different things. When we reach a point where we say, everything there will not bring fulfillment and contentment. It's not answered through money, experience, or things. When we realize God gives me my contentment. He is all-sufficient, almighty God who is all-sufficient. By the way, the challenges in the, in the names of God, we're doing in a particular order because the challenge gets harder. This is, this is a real peak in your spiritual relationship to reach a point where you can say, God is sufficient for me. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what goes right, no matter what goes wrong, God is still on the throne. He is still sufficient for me. He's all I really have to have. So now we get down to some other weird questions that we answer too easily. Can he be trusted with his promises? Can he be trusted to fulfill the promises of his word? Well, your first response is, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Really? I mean, he comes to me and you and says, you can do anything in my will. Really? He comes to you and he says, you don't need to be anxious. Really? You know, we say these things, we, we, we quote them, but are they factual promises or are we whistling in the dark here? We'll recite the promises, but do they transform our lives? Abram faced this crisis. God to fill his promise. And from here, El Shaddai comes. Abram's 99 years old. His name has not changed to Abraham yet. He's 99 years old. He's childless. He's been promised a child. And now you're thinking, oh, Gene, please no. We're back to Abram again. Don't you know any other stories? I mean, we got it. He's 99 years old. He's been waiting for this child. Change the story. I get it. For three weeks now, all we've talked about is, is Abram and his journey of childlessness. The reason is, the names of God, almost all of them spring from this time. We, we, we've looked at different aspects of it. We're going to look at a different aspect today. But yeah, I get it. You're almost burnt out about hearing he's 99 years old and no kids. We, 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 we beat this drum. But there's different aspects. And actually, the names of God all flow from here. So to understand the names of God, we kind of have to go back to the same story. Now, just as a relief for you, Next week is the last name of God in the Old Testament. It's all the way in the book of Judges. I won't talk about Abram one time next week. <laughs> Jehovah Shalom comes in the book of Judges. But today El Shaddai. And it occurs for the first time. And remember, the first time it occurs is huge. Genesis chapter 17. You're saying, what well, was it last week, Genesis chapter 17? Yeah. The 17th chapter of Genesis is, is not sarcastically, but somewhat called the names of God chapter because a lot of them are there. And we're going right back there again today. Because remember, the first time the name is used is critical to us understanding what it means. But again, we've got to do some backstory. We're going to begin at chapter 12 again. Abraham get, Abram gets the commission with a promise. You're going to be, uh, have a child. Leave your country. Go to a new land. Remember, he and Lot. Their, their, their men clash. Lot gets taken by rustlers. The, the Abraham, or, or Abraham is off and running. It's a posse to rescue. All, they're, they're all back together. The whole story comes back together again. And God reaffirms, reaffirms, reaffirms again, saying, you are going to be a great nation. In Genesis chapter 12, 
the story begins. Verse 2, God's telling him. Let's take a look at it. I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. He's reaffirming you're going to be the father of a nation. It's even more explicit in the next chapter. Genesis 13, 16. I want you to see it. And I will make thy seed as dust of the earth. Whoa, come on. So if a man can number the dust of the earth, so shall thy seed also be numbered. Remember he took him outside and said, count the stars. Now he's saying, like the dust of the earth. And the decades go by. And there's no child. You know the story. He's frustrated. He's doubting. But the real doubt, the real problem is Sarah. Women, you do not have a role except bear children on behalf of your husband. You aren't counted. You you have no value. I'm sorry back then. You've come a long way, baby. Because back then you were not counted. You were meaningless. You were of no value except to bear a child. And Sarah knows the promise as well. So guess who's taking the brunt of the failure? Abram is, yes, but multiplied times more Sarah. My husband has to have a child. He's the father of the nation, and I have failed. So she's got to solve this. He must have a son, and I am barren. She has a handmaiden in Hagar. And so she tells Abram, her husband, take Hagar. She is still of birthing age, and you will have your son. She solved it. You ever ever notice, whenever we try to fulfill God's promise, we screw it up? You You ever noticed, whenever we feel like God can't fulfill his promise, when things aren't going right, when God has dropped the ball, we pick up the ball, and usually when we pick up the ball, we just mess it up. So Sarah realizes, Abram's got to have a son father of a nation, I'm beyond birth age, my, my handmaiden is a birthing age, they have a union, and here comes the son. She conceives. Now, the thing that bothers me a little, so much bothers me a little bit, but the thing that kind of ticks me off, Hagar, the handmaiden, does exactly what Sarah asks her to do. It's a pretty big task, pregnancy and all this. Once the baby's born, Sarah turns on Hagar. And becomes incredibly harsh, so mean to her, so harsh that Hagar runs away. Now, part of me says, wait a second. She's doing exactly what Sarah wanted her to do. She's following Sarah's rules, directions to the letter. And now Sarah's turning on her. How do we make you women happy? At some point, God meets Hagar on the run and tells her to go back to Sarah, submit to her authority. And from this union is born Ishmael. So Abram has a son, but that's all he has. This is not the promised one. This is not the one that's promised to be fulfilled. Yes, he's got a son, but Abram's seed is to come through Sarah, God's miracle. The situation here has only been made worse. But, you know, it's very easy for us to pick on Sarah and Abram too, but we've got to take stock here. Let's pull back. Aren't there times I've tried to help God with my resources? Rather than maintain absolute faith in his timing. Hey, I got resources. If he's calling you to do something right now, then do it. But if he's laying something into your future, sometimes I wonder, do we try to help him? I have to tell you the truth. I'm convinced every time we help God be God, we screw everything up. Let him be God. Let him have faith because he comes and says, I'm sufficient. I I haven't walked off the throne here. I am almighty God who is all-sufficient. Trust me completely. And and you think about this. 
Trust and faith are all what it's all about. I can remember the first time I came to Christ. It was a church service. It was a revival. I came to the altar. I said, God, I was a teenager. I have put it all together. I recognize I need you. I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. I need you. And then I waited. Hit me with it. Because I thought there'd be fireworks. I thought there'd be something. This is big. I thought be something going off in my soul. And, and I, I, I was kind of looking for the flush and everything. And nothing. I prayed the prayer. I did my part. And of course, a lot of those senior guys were all around me praying, praying their hearts out. Thank you for Gene. Forgive my sins. You know? And when, that, when they were finished, they put their arm around me and said, Gene, you feel better? I lied. I wasn't going to say no. I was supposed to feel better. So I said, yes, I do. No, I didn't. Trust had to come into play. I think if, if I'd have had a flush of water and rainbows and birds, I don't know that I would need the faith. At some point, I had to recognize God heard my prayer. And I trusted. And down the road, as I lived my life, there have been episodes of the rainbows and the flushing of power. And, and I have sensed his presence. And I remembered the prayer that was answered with, without fireworks. I had to trust him that he was sufficient to hear my prayer and meet my need. But the problem is he comes after that and says, by the way, can you trust me for the rest of your life? We had that coming together. We had that relationship. We had that bond. We had that beginning. It wasn't what you thought it was going to be, but as you look back, it's exactly what happened. And by the way, can you now trust me for everything for the rest of your life? Or do you want to depend on yourself? After the failure of Sarah, in which now we have Ishmael, He's reminding Abram, you're going to have a child, and it's through Sarah. And it's the key chapter, Genesis 17. Remember, Abram is now 99 years old. By all human reasoning, this is impossible. But God is making the point, nothing is impossible because I am El Shaddai. I am all-sufficient. And here he reminds him, the very first verse, Genesis 17, 1. And when Abram was 99, 90 years and 9, the Lord appeared to him, appeared to Abram and said, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and thou will be perfect. In the Hebrew, it is I am El Shaddai. And Abram does what anybody, any, any one of us would have done face to face with God. He throws himself on the ground, ground prostrate and says, you are almighty God. You meet every one of my needs. And God reminded him of a promise. And he changed his name. Abram, as I, you've heard me said, means exalted father. Part of me says, is he not a punchline? Here he is, 99 years old, with no kids, and his name means exalted father. How do you not make fun of him? Is this not sarcasm waiting to happen? He's 99 years old, with no kids, and his name means exalted father. It is here that he goes from Abram, he says, you will now change your name, you are now Abraham, which means father of a nation. El Shaddai has seen a lot of times, interesting times, powerful times, reminding us he is able to do anything at any time. He is all sufficient. It is seen at the parting of the Red Seas. It is seen at the flood of the earth after Noah builds a boat. These are El Shaddai events. And the wording is interesting in the Hebrew. Shaddai is a derivative of the word shed, which is Hebrew for the word breast. Where are you going, Gene? But think about this. Is, is that not perfect? 
Everything the baby needs for nourishment is through the breast. Everything that is necessary, the the breast is all sufficient for that baby's nourishment. El, El Shaddai, El simply means God. So the, the kind of awkward, but not awkward, but the reality of the translation, it is God breast, God who nourishes, God who is all sufficient. God who has everything necessary for us. It is, El, it is actually translated, El Shaddai means the mighty God who nourishes, who supplies, who is all sufficient, who has everything that we need, who pours out his blessings in abundance, inexhaustible riches, because he is El Shaddai. And Jesus is God in the flesh, therefore he is El Shaddai. This one born in a, in, in a manger in Bethlehem, born of the Virgin Mary, going, going to the cross, is all sufficient one. He is El Shaddai. And you have some wonderful encounters of Jesus where El Shaddai, and in the Greek now, the same word in the Hebrew comes up in the New Testament. A couple of very poignant ones. Woman at the well in John chapter 4 is an El Shaddai moment. Now you've got to know this woman. Her story is an ugly one. She's been married, and then married, and then married, and then married, and then married, and now living with a guy. And so she, she is the town gossip. I mean, they're talking about her. They got no use for her. And the other women have shunned her. Typically, women would go as a group in the morning to get water for the day, simply because the heat of the day. And you go as a group. You need people helping you with, with, with the well and all. In the, in the, in the noontime, in, in the heat of the day, Jesus is at this well. He dismisses his disciples because he's going to have this encounter. She comes all by herself. The fact that she's coming alone says she's shunned. She's got to come in the heat of the day because no one else is there. That's the only time she can go. So we see her. Jesus knows her story. And what does he say? I am the source of living water. I am sufficient for your every need. I am El Shaddai, Messiah, El Shaddai. And how perfect. This is a woman who has struggled trying to figure out who she is. She thinks that sexual encounters is, is the answer. She has no purpose, no personal value. She's been used all her life, and Jesus says, I will quench the thirst of her soul. The thirst of her soul is to be valued. The thirst of her soul is that somebody actually, actually love her, not what they can get from her. The deepest need that she has, El Shaddai says, I am sufficient to meet that need. Everything that you are thirsty for, meaning, purpose, value, I am El Shaddai. Jesus uses the wording of El Shaddai, El Shaddai is here, because I am sufficient to meet your every need. Wow. A little bit later, John chapter 6, John loves the stories of El Shaddai. John the lover, of course. We have another problem. The multitude has come out following Jesus. He's feeding 5,000. Now, 5,000 is a myth. Because, ladies, you don't count. That culture, kind of like ours, favors marriage. So most of them are married, so you got to tack on another 5,000 for the, for the spouse. On top of that, dead kids. And their large families was kind of the name of the game because girls got married very young, and birth control was what it was back then. So large families are kind of part of, part of the package back then. It wasn't uncommon to have large families. So let's say they only had three or four kids, which at least that. So this, this 10,000, 5 plus the 5, before you know it, you're, you're coming at 15, 16, 18,000 people. All these people are here, 15,000 plus. Let's round it down. 15,000 plus are there, and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you know, it's coming on lunchtime, let's give them something to eat. The disciples are going, look at the crowd. 
No. And Jesus says, well, somebody's brought some food. I mean, these people are dumb. They were dumb. They didn't plan, they didn't plan a meal. They didn't bring anything. You know the story. They find the boy, five loaves of bread, two fish. Jesus prays and begins the multiplication. And he says, I'm the bread of life. And in this conversation, he says, I'm El Shaddai. I am sufficient to meet your needs. The unexcusable riches of God is available to you. I have provided the bread. I provide the flesh, the fish. I am God in the flesh. There was nothing Abraham and Sarah could do to fulfill the promises of God. The only one that could was El Shaddai, Almighty God, who meets our every need, who can be trusted. Sometimes I think we mess up. Remember the old, old Avis TV commercial? None of these kids on stage would have a clue, but go back in time. Avis played, played off the fact that Hertz was the number one car rental. And old timers, remember that commercial? We're number two, but we try harder. Because we're number two, we're going to try harder. It was a great marketing thing. That messes us up spiritually. We feel like, I, I think I just need to try harder. Five more minutes in my devotions rather than three minutes. I'm going to add another prayer time. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. I'm going to get here to church even earlier. I'm going to listen to the entire sermon, which would be kind of interesting. I'm going to try harder, and God's got to be so pleased because he's going to see me trying harder. Maybe we should trust more. Maybe we should rush to El Sadai. Maybe we should realize his promises actually are true for you. You're saying, so El Sadai, to use it, I must completely trust and realize he's sufficient to meet my needs. Yeah. So you're saying, I'm never allowed a second of doubt? John the Baptist doubted. I'm a human being. I, I forfeit the chance to use this word. If, if, if one second of, of, of fear, come, of anxiety comes in, I should never have, have anxiety for the rest of my life. I just tiptoe through the tulips because he's else to die? No. No. I think you have the right to be a human being. Those moments happen. But i got to tell you, there are people that live their whole life like that. You cannot live your whole life living in constant doubt and live your whole life in constant spiritual fear and live your whole life in this fog and call him El Shaddai, the Almighty One who is sufficient to meet our every need is El Shaddai. And the power, I think particularly is for this, is when the roof collapses. You know, you went to the doctor expecting a good report, you didn't get a good report. A relationship that's vital to you collapses. When you are going through a season of your life where you're almost battling depression, when you go through a season of your life when you are more than hurting, how powerful it is to realize God is still on his throne. And he's still my heavenly father. And I can go to him and say, you know what I'm going through, but I want to declare that you are still El Shaddai. You are sufficient to meet my every need. I can find my peace through you, because you are my El Shaddai. Let's stand together this morning. Father, the, the, the words are great, and, but they provide challenge. And those promises, we've got to come to the point where we realize they're real. And you are my El Shaddai. 
and we come into your presence. And there may be someone who is hurting here today. May they have the ability to come in your presence and say, God, I trust you. Your promises are there. I can get through this because I can do all things through Christ. And your promises are true. And you are sufficient. You are my El Shaddai. Be a fort for those that are hurting. Check us again and again and again. But the idea of a challenge is not to put us down. I, I don't think going to worship and being discouraged have any, have any correlation at all. The word shouldn't discourage us, but challenge us, excite us, fire us up, motivate us to celebrate the praise tool and the protection fort tool that we have in El Shaddai, almighty God who is sufficient to meet my every need. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know our tradition. We want to walk out of here saying scripture together. Proverbs 18.10. What a shock, huh? But how do you not use this? Let's say it with me. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it. And it is safe. Remember, next week, shalom. And we're not going to say the name Abram one time. <laughs> and what, next week, we're one week closer to 1.1.1. Have a great week. See you next week.